Hello everyone, this is Matt Ferret, author of Prepare for Medicare and Prepare for Social Security Insider's Guidebooks and Online Course Training Series. Welcome to another episode of The Matt Ferret Show, where I interview insiders and experts to help light a path to successful living in midlife, retirement, and beyond. If you enjoy the show, I'd love your support. Please follow, like, and subscribe wherever you are. Leaving honest reviews and five-star ratings really helps the show thrive and helps others discover it. Thanks. I'd also love to invite you to sign up for my newsletter. I send two a month full of news you can use, and you can sign up on any of my three websites, prepareformedicare.com, prepareforsocialsecurity.com, and themattferretshow.com. Anna Mann is an educator, therapist, corporate trainer, speaker, and relationship coach. Her husband, John Mann, is the co-author of more than 30 books, including four New York Times bestsellers and five national bestsellers. Put the two together, you've got the makings of a wonderful take on making marriage work over the long haul. You've heard the phrase, marriage is a journey. Well, on this episode of The Matt Ferret Show, John and Anna talk about how to keep a marriage flourishing, how it can break down, how to rekindle it, how relationships evolve over time and its impact on family members, and how individuals evolve within a marriage. Enjoy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to to be here. So this is a special uh, edition of the Matt Ferret Show. uh, We don't just have one person talking. We have two people talking. We have three, three people uh, 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 on the podcast today. (laughs) So um what let's let's uh, guess mystery guest number one and mystery guest number two uh Anna, why don't you go first and uh explain to everybody uh what you do how long you've been doing it and how you help people um well i am the co-author along with my husband john of the go-giver marriage um i have been a therapist um for a very long time like going on 35 close to 40 years and i am um i actually help couples navigate their relationships and decide whether they're staying together and pulling together, whether they want to take their relationship to a a deeper and richer place. And I also help people decide not to stay in the relationship. And so I'm a relationship coach and that is different than a therapist. A therapist will, you know, in many ways, make suggestions, but they will often listen and listen and listen and listen. A coach is much more directive around what is it that you really want and what's stopping you from achieving that and help you to set goals and and to work toward the creation of the life that you would always wanted to lead. Wonderful. Thank you. And Mr. Guest number two, John, I, I guess your wife gave it away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell everybody what you do. And, right? just, just fine. Uh, yeah, tell everybody what you do and how long you've been doing it and how you help people. My name is John and I am not a therapist, but I play one on TV. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm a writer. I write books is what I do. And uh, I write everything from books like The Go-Giver Marriage, books that are kind of, uh, you could say how-to, or you could say books that are aimed at, at helping to uh, elevate, inform, inspire, educate people to novels. I, I write thrillers, uh, which are also designed to inspire, educate, and 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 interest interest people. But uh, yeah, what, the way that I help people to answer that part of your question is uh, certainly entertain them, but hopefully, as I say, 
inspire, inform, educate, and elevate their lives. Um, I've the the Gaber marriage is the latest tempted to say greatest, but anyway, the latest in a series of books based on the original Go-Giver, which I co-authored with a friend of mine back in 2008. So it's been uh, quite a few years and all of them are aimed at sort of different facets of our lives. There's one about leadership, there's one about different things, but um, they all have kind of the same principle behind them, which is how to use the principle kind of, of generosity in relationships, of generosity in our interactions with other people, putting other people first, um, not in a self-sacrificing way, but in a, in a simple uh, way of sh putting our emphasis on what can I do for this person? How can I make this person's life better? How can I add value to this person's life? Uh, this book applies that through the lens of my wife's amazing experience to relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean, marriages, but also just relationships between two lifelong committed partners. And the subtitle is The Five secrets to lasting love and that's really what we're talking about in the book is how to help love not just survive but deepen and last the long haul so that's that's kind of what we're all up to these days thank you so john i'll, I'll start with you uh, you've written many many books um how is it that this is the first time you thought of writing one with your wife <laughs> that's a really great question and i better answer it very you better very answer it correctly <laughs> well you know matt i've always thought about doing this um no it, it's it's funny because um it is the first book we've written together and i ironically i've written over 30 books i've published over 30 books and almost all of them were with a co-author um i've done a lot of partnership writing but this is the first one with my wife Interestingly, she thought about this book way back in 2008. Now, the original Go-Giver was my first book. And when it, before it came out, when it came rolling off my desktop printer as a, as a draft of a manuscript, unpublished, she was the first person that read it. She's the first person that reads all my books. She's my first reader, my best reader, um, and, and most insightful reader. And, and she read the manuscript and said, this is great this is going to be big. This would be a great book about marriage. And we had the idea, she had the idea, but we shared the idea way back then. We need to write a book about marriage. So the idea was there through all the other books. It just took this long to kind of get around to it. And, and honestly, I, Matt, what happened was, um, you know, we had the other Go-Giver books come out, business-related, leadership-related, that kind of thing. And then uh, COVID came along. And uh, we were alone at home, like a lot of people, which we love. It's the way we prefer to live, not a lot of traveling. But we saw around us a world in which people who'd said till death to us part were saying, but we never meant that to be 24 hours a day. <laughs> a lot of people were suddenly spending a whole lot of time cooped up together and yeah. a lot of marriages were suddenly in trouble. We had friends who said in New York City, you can't get an appointment with a psychiatrist for two, there's a two and a half year waiting list because suddenly people were having mental health crises, relationship crises. And we turned to each other and said, if we're ever going to write this book, now's the time. So we did. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's and you're right. That is um, I mean, you see it if you're looking for it, you'll see it trickle past your inbox in newsletters or you'll see it on you know 
somewhere online about the, the relationship. I, I remember during COVID, it was, uh, oh, we're going to have a COVID baby boom. Uh, and that kind of turned into a not COVID baby boom. It kind of went the COVID other direction. Divorce boom. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. It was a divorce boom. So um, really timely to write about this. So so let's talk about that. Not necessarily COVID specific, but I've got, and by the way, thank you for sending the book. I'm going to hold it up if anybody's watching. There it is. Very pretty teal, by the way. So let's talk a little bit about the the go-giver marriage and the the story about the five secrets to lasting love. When and let's just go, I think probably later age, middle age or later age. Um, what's the perspective either one of you could give around the state of marriage today? Um again, fine post-COVID and during COVID, but I hear a lot about gray divorce. And I think loosely defined gray divorce is is somewhere in the Post kids, post um, um, mid forties, post fifties. That you know, you we're seeing twenty, thirty year marriages stop. Stop. Um, yes. What are you What are you seeing and hearing? Is that true? Is that not true? And um, yeah, just just go from there, I guess. It, it's completely true, and in fact, it's the fastest growing demographic of divorce in the country. And the reason is that people wake up, it's been 25 years, they don't know the person that they're sleeping next to really, and or something about the relationship has, has, has really dried up or died, and they don't know how to rekindle it. And so the kids are old enough that they think they'll survive it, and or they're out of the house. And so they just decide to hang up, hang it up. They they're facing the decision of, do I stay in this marriage until I die? Or do I want to start a new life right now and have a different last 20 years or last 25 years? Um, and that's a very, by the way, that's a very, what you just, that question, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a very deep and impactful question it at is. that age and stage. I mean, I, I don't, I'm, this isn't probably true, but for for some reason, when you know, if you get married three years in, it's not working out. You normally don't have much to divide anyway, or or right. much shared history. But after twenty or twenty five years, or even thirty years, and a you know a life together, that is a very very, I would imagine, hard thing to 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 deal with and tackle. It is it's not only the household and the money and the kids, but also your identity is wrapped up in this in this relationship. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you divide a house at that point, when your children do have grandchildren, you've now divided the grandchildren in, the, in, in terms of, you know, you might end up with a new partner and your ex might end up with a new partner. So now there's two sets of grandparents that want to see the children on Christmas. Um, you know, it really changes the dynamic. And it also, it's hard on adult children in similar ways that it's hard on younger children. Everybody thinks, oh, my son's 23, he'll be fine. Mm, he kind of needs you to pull through. He needs you to be the model that love can be real, that love can be deep, that love can have meaning. And when he sees it dissolve, he thinks, well, what was, you know, I mean, it's, it's very challenging for kids, especially I would say kids in their 20s because they're in those college years they there's more late blooming children than ever before 
in the sense that, and, and I know I was a late bloomer and, and John in terms of career was a late bloomer. So, you know, everyone has to grow up at the, at the developmental rate that they are, that they are moving at. And depending on whether your child has special needs or anything going on, their developmental rate is going to be different. But a lot of kids in college, you know, in the undergraduate years, they're, they're getting experience, but we're not certain what experience in the sense of they grow up. But I really think the, the majority of growing happens after the brain hardens, if you will, um, at 25, you see a different level of maturity take place in your child. So when you look at that 18 to 25 range, you know, they're out there, you know, going after the world in a way, but they don't have, they don't make the same mature decisions or, or approach the world the same way until they are 25 and beyond. And that's when they really start sort of planting the seeds of who am I, what do I want to be? So these are, you know, when parents break up at that point, they may seem ambivalent and nonchalant about it, but in kids that I work with or young adults that I work with, I find that they have deep, deep feelings about it. And this is not to guilt trip your listeners, because the other thing that happens, the very, the fifth secret among the five secrets is grow. And one of the things that happens in marriages is people will do things like a mom might devote herself to the children and have nothing else going on, except maybe she goes to their soccer games or, you know, she carpools them and other kids. She arranges the play dates. She does the birthday parties. You know, she's totally devoted to that channel, but she doesn't develop herself. She doesn't have anything else that she's really doing that makes her a Renaissance woman, if you will. It makes her somebody who's got all these creative outlets and a large span of friends. And she's really interested in an avocation, something that she's doing that's just very fun. So there's that constancy. When you're growing, you always have something new to bring back to the relationship. And the other type of growing in a relationship, and it can be for men or women, is what if you do have a childhood wound? Do you want to grow beyond it? Or do you want that wound to get expressed in your marriage? And if it's getting expressed in your marriage, what kind of pain is that bringing to the table? So, you know, if couples take the time, even if they think they will have one foot out the door to really express and sort of learn about the five secrets, they can, they can come to some recognition that there are things missing in their relationship that they'd like to have. And, and the truth is, it's not about whether your partner is going to bring it. It's about whether you're going to bring it to your partner, because the minute you do, the entire tone of the marriage changes. You know, there's, a, there's a line, Matt, in the book that says, when you, when you go to work on a marriage, you don't go to work on the marriage. You go to work on yourself. Um, because that, that really is how you work on a relationship, is you, is you start to kind of look at your own behavior, look at your own uh, patterns, look at your own role uh, and what you bring to the relationship and how you co-create it uh and you know honest the things you said about women taking care of kids and, and really not having a whole lot else going on that's that's growing them uh blossoming them as a person the same thing happens to to men in a job or men or women anybody in a job they might do a job or have a career and these days a career often means you know three four five jobs in succession the the one job career is is more of an exception than the rule these days, but still, 
you might have a, a job or a career or work for a company, or, and that's kind of who you are for 20 years, for 30 years, which is great. But like raising kids, which is great unto itself, uh, it may come to define, to define you in a way that is over time narrowing because you don't develop other sides of yourself. So whether you're a homemaker, you're a career person, you're, you're juggling both, whatever, male, female, whoever you are, whatever your situation, we often tend to fall into kind of the rut of being who we are without, without growing that. The way we were growing it when we were teenagers and, and, and you know, in, our, in those, those volatile 20s, they say you get married three times in your life. Even if you never split up, you get married when you get married. And then after you have kids, now it's a whole different relationship. You get married again. <laughs> To the same person. And then when the kids leave, now you get married again because it's a whole new relationship because they're a whole different person. It's a whole different situation. And so I think the thing with not only grade divorce, technically in the sense of marriage is splitting, but also well, we don't have a name for this, but gray atrophy, the marriages that stay together, but that have lost their bloom, lost their mm. excitement, lost their passion. Um. I don't know which of those is more damaging, honestly. I mean, I think a, one of the things that those 18 to 25-year-old kids are really looking to you for is an, an example of how to be a developing human being in the world. So if you are settling into a pattern, which is really not very exciting, yeah, you stay married, but is that a great example? Um, and, and maybe... You don't stay married, but you're both flourishing in your lives. What I'm trying to say is it's not like divorce, bad, stay together, good. It's a more varied picture than that. It's like, are we giving our kids the examples of an ongoing flourishing life where uh, the 60s and 70s aren't just an appendix to a, to a life well lived, but they're an extension of a life. They're more of a life further lived. And that's really what we mean by when you go to work in a marriage, you go to work on yourself. As Anna said, of the five secrets, that fifth one, the first four are all about giving to your spouse, ways of being generous with your spouse, ways of being accommodating and being, and being loving with your spouse. The fifth is about yourself. It's about becoming the person you've always wanted to be. And maybe you didn't even know it. Maybe it's discovering new dimensions to the person you wanted to be. I never planned to be a novelist. In fact, I thought that was a flat out impossibility. I remember Anna used to say, you'd be a great novelist. And I used to say, thank you for the vote of confidence. And what that meant was, yeah, BS, <laughs> you wish. I didn't believe it. Um, and I didn't write my first novel until I was in my <laughs> mid 60s. And, and it, it was nominated for a national award. I mean, who knew? That's, you know, that only happened because of, because of Anna. <laughs> I, knew. I knew. You're taking all the credit, Anna. <laughs> you should. You're good with her. I'm doing the joke of our, of our uh, relationship, which we, which we um, I'm right. I'm right. I'm, I'm always right. And, or I'm right. And it drives my wife crazy or I'm right. And, and it drives my husband crazy. Um, which is a famous line from my father. He always used to say, I'm always right. It drives my wife crazy. And we would just all chortle and laugh because it did in fact drive my mother crazy. So, um, 
but he also had such a tremendous sense of humor that they were married, um, you know, for 60 years. And so, you know, you, you do see that there's a growing involved. And, and I think it's fair to say, based on everything John just said, which was so rich, that um, one of the things about the five secrets is they're based on developmental theory. And that is that what you needed when you were an infant and a young toddler and a young child and then an adolescent extends to being a young 20, a late 20, a 30, 40, 50, 60. It's a lifelong developmental need. And that is the mean need to be seen, heard, understood, listened to in a deep and meaningful way, as in being heard, but also just being appreciated, having people that sort of see you, get you, and like you. And when you have that in and a marriage, you, and tell yeah, you. and tell you that. And when you have that in a marriage, it's so powerful because you feel like your best friend sees that you're vulnerable right now and that you're shaking in your boots and they're the ones saying, yeah, but you can still do this. You know, and, and that kind of confidence coming from another person gives you confidence. So it's the same when you're eight years old and you're going into the little league team and you're afraid you're going to be chosen last. And your dad's saying, they'd be a fool not to grab, but you snap you up right away. Don't worry. You know, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you know, um, you know, we need that sense that other people believe in us. We need that sense that other people see us and understand us. And they're such simple concepts, but as they're applied to these five secrets, I mean, I had a client that was a woman who was in her forties and she was whining. And I say, literally, she was whining about her husband never does anything for her. And I said, well, when was the last time you thanked him for something? And she could not remember when she had thanked him last. <laughs> and I said, well, she was like, well, what would I thank him for? He doesn't do anything for me. And I said, well, did he, take out, did he take out the trash this week? Well, yes, but that's his job. Doesn't Did count. you thank him for it? No. I said, find three to four times a day to thank him for something. Thank him for getting you a cup of tea. Thank him for taking the kids to the park so you could take a bath. Thank him for taking the trash out. Find ways to say, I really appreciate that you did that. Thank you. And so she started doing it. She begrudgingly started doing it, I might add. Um, and I will say, I, I'm a woman, and I will say that I've met really stubborn men, and I've met really stubborn women, but women win the prize sometimes for, for, <laughs> for wanting to hold on to control and wanting to be right. Um, so, I, and I do have a real motto in my practice. Would you rather be right or be married? I mean, you really have to decide. So she started thanking him. And... And then I got a text from her one morning and she goes, my husband just brought me a vanilla latte from Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And she said, he actually went out of his way, drove to the Starbucks after he left for work and then drove it back home to me. And she, she said, and she said, and then she said with a smiley face, do you think he's having an affair? <laughs> <laughs> Must be. And I said, I don't know. I think it might be the yeah, power, with you. <laughs> the power of thank you. And, uh, it, you know, it was a great you. moment between us because she suddenly got it. You know, she got it. And he was doing all kinds of things for her within weeks because he felt 
he was being appreciated. When she did nice things, she noticed. And so he wanted to do more nice things because he liked being told he was doing a great job and that he and that she appreciated it and appreciated him. So, you know, it's such a small gesture sometimes to let your partner know that you think they're terrific or let your partner know that you think they're powerful and let your partner know that you believe in them. Um, so these are the kinds of things that the secrets cover. And those secrets, are they secrets only when your marriage is in trouble or when your marriage is going well? And, and, and is this, there's my question. It's so easy. It's so easy to do as Anna said, they're simple things. It's so easy to just find those three things to appreciate per day, but it's so easy not to do, especially as you say, when everything's going, you know, pretty well. Okay. It's like, why should I buy, why do I even think of telling my wife how much I appreciate her? Because she knows that. I mean, we're happy together. She knows how much I love her because we courted and I told her like a hundred times a day how crazy <laughs> I was about her. And now we're married and life is good and we've got other challenges, well, as we all do. But, you know, there's this, and there's this quote in the book, uh, Warren Buffett said, it's when the tide goes out that you find out who's been swimming naked. And, and marriage is like that. It's when trouble happens, when there's, you know, someone loses a job. Or when someone breaks a, a bone or someone has an illness or when one of our parents dies or when something catastrophic or even just highly stressful happens in our life. That's when we find out how our relationship is, how, how strong it is. And even and something simple. It now. It's, it's when everything was great. Is That's when we were creating it as stronger, 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 stronger all the time. So yeah, to, I mean, to answer your question, the secrets are, you know, it's way back in the early days, or, or or better yet, put it this way, it's always a good time. Today is always a good time to start appreciating your spouse verbally out loud to them and not just in your mind. I'm sorry, sweetheart, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, well, I had one thought and then I had another, which is, you know, one of the things that's been really rewarding for us is that people who love the book often buy 10 copies plus and they give them out as wedding gifts. Yeah. And this spring, I mean, I've had a flurry of people show me the book that they got at a wedding and send it to me on Instagram and mm -hmm. or show me the book that they got at a at an engagement party or something like that. And we have dear friends um, out in the in Wisconsin who just their their oldest son just got married and they requested a copy for him, a signed copy for him when they got engaged and both of them read the book and loved it. And she said, you know, I, I see these people rocking in, a, in rocking chairs and being very old together. You know, like I just see them staying together because they really do practice the secrets and they're really in love. And the thing about love is that that blush of romance, that love that you feel at the beginning, it fades. Everybody talks about after the honeymoon, you know, it, it just fades because that's the nature of romantic love. But the truth is that when people really practice seeing, believing in the other person, appreciating them, saying thank you, sort of staying in that deeper connected way of giving to your partner, that's when you see the love really deepen and grow. And it's very important. So, um, and, you know, in my client practice, everybody reads the book and there's homework, you know, it's like, are you willing to, you know, say thank you to your husband or your wife. Are you willing to, you know, spend that time appreciating them every day? And, you know, it's easy to forget 
So we often say, you know, set timers on your phone. You can send your wife a sexy text at 10 in the morning. You can send her a sexy text or a, 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 an I love you text at four in the afternoon. You know, you don't have to come home and find three opportunities to try to fill in the gaps. Yeah, you have to walk in the door and say, let's see now. Okay, good job on the shopping. And also, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it, and it can it, it can almost sound like that. It can almost sound like well, this is kind of a mechanical thing. And you, And people often tell us, I feel kind of weird. I feel kind of uncomfortable at first saying, honey, I have something I have to tell you. I just really want to tell you that I just really appreciate how you make dinner, whatever it is, you know, I appreciate the way you, yes, and it might feel uncomfortable and it might be awkward. And I promise you, that's good. They'll appreciate it. Awkward is okay. Awkward is how it was when you were first together. Um, and, and I just want to say a word about this thing Anna said about how the, the love fades. Here's what it's like. And, and I'm really happy to be able to say this from my experience. Uh, it, it's when you're first together and then you're in that flush of romance, it's like kindling. It's like the newspaper that you use, balled up, just balled up newspaper to start a fire. All you have to do is touch a match, and a match to it and it goes whoosh, right? Um, it burns really easily and it burns really quickly. It's when the hardwood logs catch. And that takes time. Um, when you're in five years, 10 years, 20 years, either the kindling burns out and the logs are just sitting there cold, or if you took care of the fire and you tended it and you attended to it and you kept it going long enough for the hardwood logs to catch, those hardwood logs, man, they burn with a fire that's hotter than any kindling. Uh, and that's that's what happens at 25, at 30, that's what can happen. That's the potential of a long lasting love. It's not just that, well, we used to be passionate and now we're good buddies, we're, we're housemates and we kind of know each other. So that's kind of comfortable. It can be on fire, passionate, thrilling, exciting. It's just that it has the flavor of maturation. It doesn't have that flavor of crazy youth. It's a different flavor to it, um, but it is, just so abundantly possible and available and, and wonderful. Um, and it can off, withstand all things. You know, one yeah. of the stories in the book is of a couple in their 50s, and he went on blood pressure medication and suddenly had erectile dysfunction. And their sex life was by no means over, but for the moment it felt over. And he was devastated, and so was she. But she was very wise in that moment. You know, she really let him know that it was very much alive for her and that she was so attracted to him and that it was not a sign of, of his manhood to take a blue pill. And, you know, and she, she just encouraged him in a way that he went and got medication and, you know, pretty quickly they were back in action and he felt a much deeper connection to her because he got it that she understood that this was devastating for him. He felt terrible about himself. Like, that story too. Anna tells the yeah. story. And what I especially love about that is that it's beyond the blood pressure med and the blue pill. There's also sort of a, a larger context, which had to do with the fact that he'd had, he'd had a, a, a setback at work, a, a job, a job loss. And so there was a whole kind of dimension to it of him, uh, you know, losing confidence in himself as a, as a performer in life at his job, right. As a, as a, as a bread earner. And so her and her willingness to be in solidarity with him and her steadfast, her belief in him, the way she expressed that, 
it, it didn't just salvage their sex life, it also salvaged kind of their, their life life. I mean, his, his career went on and blossomed from that point. And, and that's, I think, part of what we're talking about is that it's when you, when you approach a relationship as an us, as opposed to a me and you, as opposed to two people, we are two people, but together we, we manifest as an us. And when you, when you consciously build that us-ness, you get to a point where there is nothing the world can throw at us that we can't handle as long as we have each other. And that's how it really feels. There's a um, a television show on Netflix right now called Queen Charlotte. And some of the listeners may be aware of it. And there's yeah. a fantastic moment where Queen Charlotte is telling off the royal doctor. And uh, she says to him. Yeah, he I says, have... if you do this, his sanity will be threatened. Right. And she says, I don't care about his sanity. What I care about is his happiness and his soul. And it's like, boom, you know, it's like, okay, because she gets her husband. She knows that he's, I don't know, it's hard to know when you watch the series, whether he's bipolar, but he's obviously not completely mentally sound. And yet he's a lovely person, you know, which is true of many people with, you know, a slight mental disorder as, you know, you might term it um, or a, a mental health issue. It doesn't mean that it isn't fixable. It doesn't mean that medication can't make it, make it just fine. Um, and so, you know, she was just standing in solidarity with his person, with his happiness, and she wasn't going to have it. So, I, you know, when you can be there for somebody in that kind of way, you're a partner who's so rich and so strong. Um, you know, everybody wants that. You know, that's having the parent that says, you know, my child is great. You know, when um, so it's important, right? The lifelong journey here, and and the the five secrets to lasting love, as 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 Anna, you said, that's a great. Hey, you're married. Congratulations. Do this book, uh, <laughs> uh, or uh, or a big a big a big one. But as John, you mentioned earlier, right? Life happens, and um, trauma occurs. Um, all the way through. And so you may be looking, uh, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20, 30, however many years, and uh, it can grind at you. So I guess, I don't know if this is a tough question or not, or even a fair question, but what if it's already off the rails? Um, is it, do you, do, does one person follow it? Do they introduce it to their spouse? What's, what's the approach when someone, or if it's not both in the equation, it's one of the folks in the relationship goes, okay, I want to, get to where that hardwood isn't running out. I want to throw another log on the fire and light it before the other ones uh, burn out. Uh, how do you do that? Um, and and um, I suppose I suppose there isn't a, a too late time unless the papers are signed, but maybe when do you do that? Um, you know, how do you, do you get out in front of it? Do you wait until someone brings it up? Do you do your reading on your own, introduce it to your spouse? I, I, again, a very long-winded question, but I think you know where, where I'm kind of no, going. No, no, it's actually, it's a beautifully articulated question. Only to me, I, what I actually is hearing three questions. It's like, I kind of kind of want to go boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I sorry, I do that. I, I just did it okay. to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I like that. I like the way you think. And I, I'm just, I want to hit a few points before I turn it over to um, to my, the person whom I call my higher power. Um, <laughs> it, 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 the first thing I want to say is that, is that, you know, you make a really good point, which the traumas happen, the stresses, stresses happen. When you're typically, when you're courting, 
when you're young, when you first fall in love, you're pretty much at your best, right? And that's conscious. That's intentional. That's no accident. Right? You show up as your best. What happens with long-term marriage is often we're not at our best. In fact, most of the time, we're not at our best. Um, it, we just can't be. And that's because life happens. These things happen. So we're not operating at, at 100. We're not at peak. And so it's that's just reality. So part of part of the accommodation, the, the, the generosity, if you will, of marriage is giving allowance to the other person, is giving them the benefit of the doubt, is understanding that she, he might be cranky at me, crabbing at me, bitching at me, and might just be having a really hard time. Assume that they mean the best. Assume the best for the person. There's a lot of that, of that kind of uh, uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt. That has to happen. It's it's not as much as it's a give and take, as much as it's a give and give and and allow. Um, and as as long as there's a sense underneath that that we're in the same we're on the same team, and that's so critical. There's got to be that sense that we're in the same team, and that's so important to build. As long as we're in the same team, then we get we have we have permission to not be operating at our best. But then to your question about, so just one or both or what? I mean, and, and I'm going to turn that over to Anna. Um, I want to speak to the last question, which is, is it ever too late? And I think it's in, in, in one sense, it's never too late. But but there has to be a willingness. There has to be an intention. It's a question about intention. Do you have the intention for this relationship to get richer, to get stronger? Because some people have just decided it, it, it ain't. They're out of here. And you can't make up somebody else's mind. All you can do is make up your own mind. You can kind of decide for yourself, where are you at? But uh, in terms of, does one person read the book? Do both read the book? I want to give that to Anna because she's got all this beautiful experience with that, sweetheart. It's lovely when both people read the book, but um, my experience is that to change a marriage is to change yourself and to change your behavior. And when you change your behavior and you're consistently changing your behavior without keeping a scorecard. And by that, I mean, you know, just because you've been really good to your partner for two weeks now, and they're still kind of have their hands on their hips with you. You can't just say, yeah, well, I, you know, I'm doing everything I can and look what you're doing, you know, um, because it can take months, you know, when there's deeply ingrained patterns, you have to show up in a different way. And I'm not talking about being codependent here. I'm, I'm not talking about just kissing their ring for the sake of happiness in the moment. I'm talking about a genuine, different way of operating with them, where you're giving and where there's an intimacy to that giving. Um, John puts a cup of tea on my bedside table every morning when I wake up. And he doesn't have to. And he's busy. He gets up at five in the morning and writes. So he doesn't have to run to the kitchen and get me tea, but he always does. I do and charge her for it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't, I don't, but it's such a sweet thing. And I appreciate it so much. And it's like, you know, when you ask people, do you wait on your partner at all? As in, do you really give to them? Do you attend to them in ways that are just the same way that you would make your child's favorite cupcakes or things like that? You know, it's yes. like, do you spoil them? You know, I make amazing food for John sometimes just because I want to spoil the heck out of it, Truth. you know, and it's like, yeah, and he'll be like, oh, you know, he, and he's so happy, though. It's like it's it's like 
who, you know, you know, the things that are, are important and special for your partner. Maybe your partner really, you know, according to the five love languages, maybe they love gifts, you know, a little simple bouquet or a little, you know, a Starbucks vanilla latte. It was like that really made, that made her go, whoa, you know, um, it's things like that, that really matter. So um, I often say, if you are really loving the book, keep leaving it around the house and keep practicing as much as you can these different secrets so that it's clear to them what the heck has come over my partner. You know, like they're like, why are you being so nice to me? In fact, one why husband are you actually being so nice to me. <laughs> yeah. One husband actually said that to his wife. What's going on? Why are you being so nice to me? Did you spend a bunch of money on the checkbook? You know, <laughs> or, you know, he was like really like curious. Um and she was, you know, she started really flirting with him on text too. So, you know, when they see that and they see the book around, then, you know, you can always like point at the book and say, I'd like to read you just a snippet of that. And then get in bed and read them, you know, little sections of it and, and keep, you know, get them through the story and, and talk about the different things. But when you do that, be willing to be the partner that says, I've been with you for 17 years and I don't think I've ever spent anywhere nearly enough time appreciating you. I mean, you have pretty much raised the kids. <laughs> you make all the food. You have been doing this. Or, you know, it's like, I mean, whether it's a husband or a wife or a partner, it doesn't matter. You have a bullet list of things that they're amazing at, and you can pull that list out at any time and remind them of how much you see that they give to this relationship and give to your life. And then it's about saying, you know, I, I couldn't be where I am without you. People melt like an iceberg at that point. They just like melt all over the place. It's like, it's so powerful because people don't ever get that praise. And, you know, I think that when we're little kids and when you're, when you're, mom or your dad says, look at you, you read that book all by yourself. You know, you're kind of sitting there going, yeah, I'm pretty good. Aren't I? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like that same energy exists in all of us. Every one of us is a 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 year old disguised as a 10 year old. It's just the truth. We all want to be admired and believed in and, and, you know, we want people to think we're funny and cool and all those things. I mean, I am married to one of the funniest people on earth. And what I want your listeners to know is we both went through a divorce in our early 40s. We are divorced people who wrote a book about marriage in our 60s after spending 25 years together. Yes. Now, what makes that powerful is, you know, People learn from their mistakes. Getting divorced isn't the worst thing that can happen. And so if that's what's right for you, it's you, you can be the only one who can determine. But if you're going to enter into any relationship, whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, and start over again, definitely read this book because it's going to give you a leg up on the things that you did wrong in your last relationship. And I don't say that things that he or she did wrong, the things that you did wrong so that you can really understand that we are all making mistakes every second of the day in our relationships and we could all do better, but we have to start at home with ourselves. 
So if you can get your partner to read it, that's lovely. And if you tell her that it's, or, or him, that it's like, this is an incredible book. I am so digging it. And I want our relationship to be so powerful and so rich. I want you to love me till the day I go. <laughs> and you know, if you can share that, I think you're really, you know, might find that they sit down and read it and it could change everything. Awesome. John, Anna, this is, I could talk for hours, but um, <laughs> what what questions did I not ask about either the book or any of the other topics that are related to that book that we that we talked touched on over the last hour or so? What questions should I have asked that I didn't? I don't know how you'd frame this as a question without it sounding like a setup, but um, uh, maybe the question could be so. Uh, is this book really, really long and hard to read? And then the answer would be, well, I'm so glad you asked that question, Matt. Curiously <laughs> enough, no. Um, I, just, I just want to say uh, the nature of the book, for those who haven't seen the book, it's actually, it's, it's a fairly short book. It's very quick and easy to read. It, it falls in two halves. And the first half is a story. It's a modern parable. Because all the go-giver books are modern parables. The first story, uh, first half tells the story of, of a couple, Tom and Tess, whose marriage isn't horrible, it isn't totally on the rocks, but it's not what it once was. And it's kind of in that in-between place. And um, and then the story is, is, is my contribution. That's kind of what I do. In the second half of the book, Anna basically says, okay, here's what you just read and here's what it means. And here's how you can put it into operation in your life. The second half of the book is the how-to. It's how what these five secrets are, how they work, how you can practically apply them it, with bullet lists and, and, and examples from stories of, of real people. Um, so it's the how-to part, started with the parable part that's very entertaining, and it's extremely easy to read. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> the, the question that I, that I didn't ask. Anna, Another how about question you? I would ask is, Anna, you know, so uh, tell us about what you do. <laughs> I think the question you didn't ask is, so what tell is me that? about those thriller novels you write, John. No, yeah, <laughs> thrillers. thrillers. Don't John worry, is, I, will, uh, I will link to all of those on, on, the, uh, on the show page website. And I'm, and I'm uh, sure, and John, I see your, your webpage presence is huge and, and, uh, and, and many years of it. So it's, uh, it's great. But uh, Anna, what, um, what, what about from your angle, right? co-author here um what what didn't i touch on I mean, we can go gray divorce but we can also just do like you said you know it doesn't matter 20s to 70s or 80s in a marriage um well i think gray divorce is is um an awesome topic and i i actually love that that was sort of your headliner for the show because i think it's real it is a huge growing de uh, demographic and when they say gray divorce they mean people that have been married 20 years or longer they aren't necessarily gray um, as two people who got divorced in our forties, we had both married very young. We had married people that I think if we had the wisdom of, you know, being slightly more mature, we probably would not have chosen to get married. And I think that that would be said on both sides of both yeah. of our marriages, previous marriages. So, you know, I think that, um, my ex would clearly say if I'd spent three or four years with her, I would have known that it was not right for us to get married. And, you know, it's like, I think there's just wisdom in that. And I think that when you can have an amiable separation where it isn't about 
screwing the other person or dividing the toys in some aggressive way or isolating the kids or bad-mouthing your mom or your the dad to mm. your children. I think if you can do a clean divorce, that's a great divorce. It's okay. Start over. Give yourself the opportunity for a new start. Um, and I'm I'm not just trying to give permission because I do believe that a lot of people at that stage of development, if they would do a little bit of couples therapy and a little bit of work on the marriage, that they would find that there's a lot of men that are walking around with what we call a covert depression. They're very, very good at their work. They're slaying it in their professional life, but they've had a closet depression that has kept them from feeling good about themselves and good about life for 20 plus years. And yet, because depression is such an such a topic of like, no, no man wants to admit that they're depressed and no man wants to go to their doctor and say, I think I need medication. Um, but I think that men's groups where men, and I actually have colleagues that run two men that run amazing men's groups for men. And those men get down about who do they want to be in life? What's missing? What's wrong? How can they take better care of their bride? And I think these men come out of their depression because they have collaboration with other men that admit that they are under siege, that they're tired, that they're getting terrible, terrible things are happening to them at work. I was about to say something obscene, but they're being abused at work by their boss or whatever. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. And so when they get together, they finally have an outlet. Women do that very naturally with each other. Men will play basketball, but they won't get together and talk about those deep, dark things that really bother them. Sure. And so when they have that, I think that marriages can can sort of start to blossom again because there's more communication. And for women looking at a gray divorce, let go of control. Stop trying to control the universe and give everybody a break. Um, because I think that during pre-menopause and menopause, a lot of women really sort of hit the wall of like, I've been dealing with this for so many years, I'm not dealing with it anymore. You know, <laughs> And it's a, a kind of irrational, um, sometimes very crabby time in your life where you also feel very insecure. Get with a good therapist, get with people who can help, get in a group, um, but do something for yourself. It gives you an outlet to talk because it isn't about going to your women friends and bitching about your husband. It's about going to someone who's a professional who can help you to reframe what's going on in your life and to make steps toward, toward shifting and changing. And all of that can enrich a marriage dramatically. So it isn't a yes or no that you get divorced or don't get divorced. There's not a right or a wrong. It has to be the right. But if you're going to get divorced, do it right by your children. Uh, well said. And thank you both very much for all of your time today. Thanks for writing this book. Thanks for sending me this book. Uh, like I said earlier, all of which will be up on the website when this episode is released and you can uh, click around. Um any other um, 
Any other topics you want to cover, John? I'll, I'll put your website up there. Anna, I didn't check if you had a website, but I can I can mm -hmm. certainly do that as well. Um, any other ways to find you on the interwebs or or otherwise contact you or find out more about what you do, what you offer? Uh, it's gogivermarriage.com. And um, we're putting up a new page that kind of gets a little more in depth to my practice and what's up with me. Um, but I do see clients privately and the sky's the limit in terms of groups and other things that I do. For all the, for all the Goalkeeper marriage work the, and for Anna and everything that she's doing, uh, and she travels the world teaching groups in, in other countries as well. That's the site, the Goalkeeper marriage. That's kind of Anna's uh, locus. That's her, that's her, her, the place to find her. And if you write to us there, we're the ones who see that our assistants are us. Um, I have my website, as, as, as you said, johndavidman.com, but I also have a, a site specifically for the thrillers, I'll say that since Anna prompted me, um, which is Web and Man, W-E-B-B and Man, M-A-N-N. Web is my writing partner for the thrillers. And it, it is, it's it's a blast. It's, it's, a it's a series of three thrillers. The third is just about to come out. And um, people are, are, are loving them. And it's, it's a, it's a, it is my testament to what you can do to reinvent yourself in your 60s. It's it's a brand new career. So I hope people who enjoy thrillers and mysteries or crime novels or any novels of any sort, that's that's the page. That's the page I'll offer there. John, Anna, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you. We've really enjoyed thank being you. here. John and Anna, thank you. If you liked this episode, please follow, like, subscribe, and rate the show. Make sure to hit the Matt Ferret Show website for links and show notes. Until next time, to your wealth, wisdom, and wellness, I'm Matt Ferret, and thanks for tuning in. The Matt Ferret Show, related content, publications, and MF Media LLC is in no way associated, endorsed, or authorized by any governmental agency, including the Social Security Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services, or the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The Matt Ferret Show is in no way associated with, authorized, approved, endorsed, nor in any way affiliated with any company, trademark names, or other marks mentioned or referenced in or on The Matt Ferret Show. Any such mention is for purpose of reference only. Any advice, generalized statistics, or opinions expressed are strictly those of the host and guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Although every effort has been made to ensure the contents of The Matt Ferret Show and related content are correct and complete, Laws and regulations change quickly and often. The ideas and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show aren't meant to replace the sage advice of healthcare, insurance, financial planning, accounting, or legal professionals. You are responsible for your financial decisions. It is your sole responsibility to independently evaluate the accuracy, correctness, or completeness of the content, services, and products of, and associated with, The Matt Ferret Show, MF Media LLC, and any related content or publications. The thoughts and opinions expressed on The Matt Ferret Show are those of the host and The Matt Ferret Show guests only, and are not the thoughts and opinions of any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show, nor is The Matt Ferret Show made by, on behalf of, or endorsed or approved by any current or former employer of the host or guests of The Matt Ferret Show. Mm -hmm.